Do these early in a timely manner. Let me get my volumes up. Always forget to get my volumes up. There we go. Nice. I can see. Okay. <clears throat> I often read <clears throat> read from this book an essay by Alan Kulikoff. I don't know if I'm saying his name properly, but it's one of the most important essays ever written to me in my mind um, and I read a lot of essays and I write a lot of essays it's the slave life cycle and I want to read this again I might, I think I clear my channel and put new videos up because I've been doing videos for 20 years but it's not just the slave life cycle it is the American life cycle um, at this point we had a chance to have a certain kind of society in 2020. They offered us an opportunity to have UBI, um, basic income for all, or at least for the poorest. So everybody would have some stability. Um, independence as far as education, independence as far as labor, but we didn't want it. So... Slave life cycle is the American life cycle. So that's why I wanted to go back and read this. And you'll see, you'll recognize, <clears throat> most of you, um, that this is your life cycle too. The slave life cycle, a slave status as property dictated certain patterns in his or her life. Slavery shaped the ordinary business of living, infancy, childhood, learning, courtship, marriage, family life, and old age. All had unique characteristics. In the following excerpt from Tobacco and Slaves, the development of Southern cultures in the Chesapeake 1680 to 1800, award-winning historian Alan Kulikoff examines the patterns of the slave's life using data from plantation records in the Chesapeake Bay area of Virginia and Maryland before the Civil War. By the 17th, by the 1750s, a African American Afro-American life cycle had developed. Afro-Americans lived in a succession of different kinds of households. Children under 10 years almost always lived with their mothers and more than half on large plantations lived with both parents. Between 10 and 14 years of age, large numbers of children left their parents' homes. Some stayed with siblings and their families. Others were sold, and the rest lived with other kin or unrelated people. Women married in their late teens had children and established households with their own children. More than two-fifths of the women on large plantations and on fifth and a fifth on small farms lived with husbands as well as children. The same proportion of men as women lived in nuclear households, but because children of separated house spouses usually lived with their mothers, a large number of men, even on big plantations, lived only with other men. So you see instability with men, with black men, that's spreading to instability with men altogether, a lot of it is psychological, but all of this is psychological. 
Um, the psychological creates the physical. I always think that. Uh, you see a lot of single women, single mothers. Um, there is some marriage. The bigger the plantation, meaning wealthier the, peop the people, uh, the stronger the family is because there's more resources being spread down. Infancy. For the first few months of life, a newborn infant stayed with his mother. A mother would take her, take her new infant into the fields with her and lay it uncovered on the ground while she hold her corn roll down and up. She would then nurse, nurse it a few minutes and return to her labor, leaving the child in the same exposure. Eventually, the child left its mother's lap and explored the world of the hut and quarter. In the evenings, he ate with his family and learned to love his parents, siblings, and other kinfolk. During the day, the young child lived in an age-segregated world. While parents, other adults, and other siblings worked, children were left during a great portion of the day on the ground at the doors of their huts to their own struggles and efforts. They played with age mates or were left at home with other children and perhaps an aged grandparent. Where do you take a lot of children if you work? You take them to pre-K. You take them to um, kindergarten, but it's really pre-K, preschool. And you could take them to preschool as babies, right? So we have a lot of people doing that. Um, with more people working at home, you'll be doing work, nursing your baby, things like that. This is the American life. So when I tell you that there's been no progress and you roll your eyes, when I tell you this is still a plantation society, nothing's really changed. Things have changed on the surface. This is where I get my information from. I look at the world. I look this, look at this, put it over what I, what's happening. And it's the same template. Beginning to work in the tobacco fields. Black children begin to work in the tobacco fields between 7 and 10 years of age. For the first time, they join fully in the daytime activities of adults. Those still living at home labor besides parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts, and other kinfolk. Even on smaller plantations, they work with their mothers. Most were trained to be filled hands by white masters or overseers and by their parents. Though these young hands were forced to work for the master, they quickly learned from their kinfolk to work at, a, at the pace that black adults set and to practice the skills necessary to put massa on. Kiss up to your boss. At about the same age, some privileged boys begin to learn a craft from the whites on the larger plantations. From their skilled kinfolk, Charles Carroll's plantation provide an example of how skilled skills were passed from one generation of afro or afro is this it says afro africans to the next i wonder if they meant afro americans but they say afro africans to the next six of the 18 artisans in his plantations under 25 years of age in 1773 probably learned their trade from fathers and another four from other kinfolk skilled in that occupation. 
For example, Joe 21 and Jack 19 were both Coopers and both sons of Cooper Joe 63. Joe also learned to be a Willwright and in turn probably helped train his brothers, his brothers-in-law Elisha 11 and Dennis 9 as Willwrights. Coopers are barrel makers and Willwrights a person who makes and repairs carriage and wagon wheels, basically mechanics. So when you say, and this makes me cringe when I hear black people say, oh, maybe they need to teach the child a trade. This is what they're talking about. But it makes me cringe because it drives me back to this. But also, you don't need to go to a school to learn a trade. Trades are passed down. And with YouTube and things like this, I've learned to do so many things with YouTube. I didn't need to go to school to get the. Now you need to have a license to get the contract to do it. But you don't need to have a license to know how to actually do the thing. Um, what else was I going to say about this? So, yeah. And, and child labor is coming back to the United States. They're talking about lowering the age, work age down. 14, 15 years old, 16 years old. Leaving home. Beginning to work coincided with the departure of many children from their parents, siblings, and friends. The fact that about 54% of all slaves in single slave households in Prince George's in 1776 were between 7 and 15 years of age suggests that children of those ages were typically forced to leave home. Young blacks were most frequently forced to, from large plantations to smaller farms. The parent's authority was eliminated and the child left the only community he had known. Tension and unhappiness often resulted. For example, Hagar, age 14, ran away from her master in Baltimore, 1766. She was supposed to be harbored in some Negro quarter, he claimed, as her father and mother encourages her in elopements under a pretense she is ill-used at home. So again, you want people to get out of the apartment. You want people to get out of the house. Um, I don't know. In New York, I think you can become emancipated at 16 in New York State. And you have a lot of teenagers now leaving the home because some homes are so unstable now. Um, prices are so high. Um, so many families are in shelters, living in cars and things like that. So you have this happening. And this is, again, this is a, the slave life cycle, but I'm saying now it has become the American life cycle. Um, should we do courtship and marriage? Let's do courtship and marriage next time because that's a long one. So, again, this is how most people... Uh, are living their lives in this society. It's completely outdated. To me, it's a horrible way to live. There's no free development. There's no independence. People are sold here and there. Men have no stability. Women could be anchored to one place, but their babies sold and new babies come in. I mean, so that's not really any emotional stability any psychological ability and and that's the point by the way to create a people who are so emotionally and 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 psychologically unstable that you can keep control over them forever and ever and ever 
that's why I was so angry in 2020 when we didn't take this opportunity. But if your mind is so brutalized, how could you take advantage of a freedom properly? Um, although, I don't know. I mean, the slaves did when they became free. Most of them wanted to live free lives. Even the, the um, ones who stayed on the land and rented and became sharecroppers, they still tried to exert some independence. I don't know why we don't do that anymore. Um, but we seem to be just completely, uh, what should I say, invested in the system. And the system is dying. Matter of fact, I would argue it's dead already. And that's really a, the big problem today. We keep trying to feed off something that's dead. Um, and you can, the system can have momentum. You know what I mean? But eventually that momentum is going to, to fall, fall apart. And you're going to have to put something new in. That's why if you look at the political scene, Andrew Yang has popped back up. UBI has popped back up for two reasons, I think. One, because reparations is, is, is making strong strides. Reparations for blacks. Um, that's one thing. Two, automation. People, you know, you had these people, oh, automation is not a big deal like they're saying. Automation is not a big deal like they're saying. Meanwhile, I knew it was a big deal because I could see pe I could see jobs being eliminated. And I could also see jobs that are around continue only because bosses don't want to lay people off. But there are people doing jobs that machines can do. Even today, you go to the grocery store, I'm sorry. We don't need cashiers to do this to an item and to this to the next item. We don't need that. Make all of the things self-checkouts. And you have people to watch this in case people steal or whatever the case may be. Or the glitches in the machine and to help people, sure. But we have to wait on long lines for two cashiers when you can open up all seven cash registers because nine or ten because it's usually ten cash registers only two open so eight of them sit with no with no cash in it while the line goes to the back of the store open up all the cash registers make themselves check out and you never have to wait in line in a grocery store or a supermarket um, and that's the few that's really the present but we're, we're holding ourselves back Give these people a UBI. No one wants to be a cashier. No one wants to work service jobs. Give these people a UBI and we don't know what can happen. We don't know what their minds will do. They'll be free to think, to have ideas, to do other things that they want to do. And people always make the example, oh, they can read poetry or make art. Sure, I'm a writer. I understand that. But they might want to be film producers. They might want to be scientists. They might want to do biology experiments. They might want to do chemistry experiments. Everybody's just not going to, when you give a UBI, everybody's just not going to lounge around and hang in coffee shops and reciting poetry and all of that. People are going to be doing different things. People are going to be developing institutions. People are going to be, because that's what we did in 2020. And I wish we could have seen if we could have just extended the child tax credit and the stimulus, what would happen? 
I think this world would have been so much better. And let other people work from home. We would have had such a great place to be. You know how to support this. You give directly. You hit the links. You um, become a sponsor. Take care of yourselves and be safe. Um, oh, and happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night.